This week on page 180, we get left behind with a new episode of The Last of Us. Corporate Keen joins me to discuss the new Formula One season. Plus, we've got reviews of Cocaine Bear, Broker, The Independent, and We Have a Ghost. All that and more still to come. Guys, thanks for joining us here on another edition of Page 180. Apologies, this week we're uh, a day late for anyone who has noticed. The reason for that is, as some of you may have seen on social media, I was very uh, fortunate to be invited along by Sky Ireland uh, to the premiere last night of the new their new Dublin Narcos documentary limited series. Three episodes of the full series dropping this Saturday on Sky TV and also on Now. Really enjoyable documentary. We only saw the first episode and then a scissor reel afterwards for the the episodes two and three. But I have to say, I found it really addictive and I think it's going to be something that this time next week, I think a lot of people are going to have seen it and are going to be talking about it. It is fantastic. Uh, One thing I love about it is it, it doesn't shy away from... It basically tells the story. Obviously, look, Dublin Narcos, you can probably tell it's a documentary what it's about and what it's covering, but it's covering the history of the drug trade in Ireland um, since its inception with the Dunn brothers, who are some of the characters in the follow throughout the first series. It's kind of like a blend between a great, you know, crime documentary mixed with reeling in the years because it's very period focused and it goes through the stories, but there's a lot of, a lot of references to the period in a not cheesy or forced way. Um, it's all just very enjoyable. And again, like I, I didn't even grow up in this period, but I felt nostalgic for it, which is kind of the mark of a story that's doing its job well and is directed and edited well. Um, it's funny. It's, uh, real, it's harsh, it doesn't pull punches, it tells a good story, it's got great characters in it as well, and it really gets kind of key quotes off them. Um, the We watched it in the Sugar Club, and the theatre was kind of breaking out and laughing in some stages, but then shocked in another stage. Um, It's really, really good, and it's well worth going out of your time to see. I'm not do- doing a full review, obviously, because I've just seen the first episode, but uh, I really recommend it. That's from this Saturday on Sky and Now. And uh, yeah, thanks for the invite. And I'm not just saying that because they invited me to the premiere. I would say if it's if I didn't enjoy it, but I really, really did, and I can't wait for episodes two and three. Um, Some excellent, excellent stuff. Guys, I, I had a revelation over the past couple of weeks, and I wanted to share it with you because I think... At 35 years of age, I think I finally found my calling in life. And I think I found the one thing in the world that I am better than at everything else. And I'm not talking about my day job. No, whatever about that. Like, you know what I mean? If I I find a way to make money from the thing that I've discovered I'm better at than anyone else, I'll probably just leave the day job, if I'm being honest. And I'm not even talking about this podcast, to be honest. God, no, there's there's only about 11 of you left listening. Like, we lost some people last week who really liked the new Alison Brie movie. You know, we are shedding listeners, so it's definitely not this. Um... Obviously, I think you all know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Cinegame feature in uh, certain Odeon cinemas, the new app that they've added uh, there that people can play. And uh, for those of you who don't know what that, what I mean when I say that, uh, who from here on out I'm going to call losers, um, Cinegame is a fun little mobile app that Virgin Media have started putting on before movies in Odeon cinemas, uh, where you race against fellow cinema goers. As You're a little SIM card and you're collecting other SIM cards and answering trivia questions. Questions. And there's just three speed based trivia questions because broadband speeds, you get it. <laughs> um, 
like what's the world's fastest land mammal and who played the female lead in the movie speed they're the same questions all the time and i'm really good at answering them <laughs> with the winner collecting a bag of sweets at the end so you win a free bag of sweets if you win it it's a bit of crack you get to play against other cinema goers i am undefeated at cinema game or cine game sorry i should probably know it if it's the one the name of it if it's the one thing i'm better at than anyone else and to give you context of how good I am at Cinegame, I am like if you crossed Michael Jordan with The Undertaker at WrestleMania. You know, that's me when it comes to playing this game before the cinema. And you know what? For me, in the same way that great athletes and like kind of performers and artists will say, it's not about the money. For me, it's not about the sweets. It's not even about the... Sometimes I don't even claim the price. Sometimes I don't even want the sweets. I just do it for the love of the game. And for more than anything, it's kind of... It's unleashed something in me that I didn't realize was there. It's kind of an addiction to to power and success. Like, it's... It's like Michael Jordan and having that psychopathic level of competitiveness uh, that we saw in uh, the, the the in his Netflix documentary. It's about being in situations like on the opening night of Ant-Man uh, last week with obviously a fair few people in the screening, including a lot of kids and me anonymously chilling and destroying all of those stupid kids and hearing the audible disappointment when they don't even come close to beating me. Hearing like as I am destroying them, like and I've won the race by like the halfway stage and they're just like, Oh, and just the hope evaporating from their body. It's the moments of uh, like where where kind of, you know, their parents are there or their dad's like, oh, when you bag a sweet son, you know what I mean? It's probably the one night a week he gets to hang out with his kid. He's worked hard all week to kind of come into the cinema, spend his hard earned wages and give his kid an amazing night. And he's going to be like, this is the cherry on top. I'm going to show him that his dad's cool and he's going to win this game and he's going to win his son a bag of sweets. And then the, the kid just being disappointed in his that and just being like you absolute loser you lost to whoever that GL guy is and you just get to sit there it's so satisfying you just get to sit there and nobody knows who you are but you've destroyed and ruined their day it's fantastic it's about the little moments of bonding that it offers though with other cinema goers like a few weeks ago I was playing it before uh, let the wrong one in and um, there was only two of us in the entire screening and that was probably for the best it wasn't a good movie at all um, but there was one other person in the screen and we both decided to play it and he took the lead on me and was beating me halfway and then I just came back for a phenomenal victory I hosted him a little bit I'm not gonna lie I kind of gave him false hope and then ripped it away um and then at the end of it he turns around he's like oh well done mate I thought you had me there and I just turned around I'm like yeah well you didn't <laughs> I just I didn't let him have it I'm like no I'm like we're not but we are rivals and you have lost again that Jordan like psychopathic streak in me um and I am, I've no problem saying, I am the Michael Jordan of Cinegame. And I also think I've got a problem, guys. I think I've actually got an issue and I need to talk to someone about this, but I, I don't know who. Uh, anyway, look, I have seen a few movies this week. I've also won some sweets, if anyone's interested, that I'm not going to use because I just get fat otherwise. But guys, in the meantime, I'm going to give you reviews of the new movies. So uh, we'll get on to that. Let's do this. <laughs> Beth, we should go. 
go. Tom, get up! Don't look back, don't look back! Cocaine Bear is the new highly publicized comedy written by Jimmy Warden and directed by Elizabeth Banks, loosely based on a true story. I say loosely because here's the true story. One time, a bear was found dead in Georgia alongside 40 open plastic containers of cocaine. It was later taxidermized and put on display and given the name Cocaine Bear. And Warden said he wanted to make this movie a twisted fantasy of what the bear got up to while he was on coke. And if the script we got was Warden being twisted... Frankly, he needs to get out a bit more because it is as bland as it gets, if I'm being honest. You've got some kids who are on the mitch. You've got drug dealers doing drug dealer stuff. You've got a cop chasing said dealers. You've got some unruly kids who bother the local mountain ragers. You've got some hikers and you've got our bear. And I actually can't review Cocaine Bear without paraphrasing a quote from The 40-Year-Old Virgin, ironically, which is a movie which starred director uh, Elizabeth Banks. And... This is what I thought about it. Everyone said, you know, you got to check out this movie and it's it's a bear on cocaine. And I get there and I think it's going to be awesome. And it's it's not as cool as it sounds like it's going to be. It's it's kind of gross. Uh, you think a bear on cocaine and you get there and it's it's a bear on, on cocaine. It was it was really snorting that cocaine. And you know what? To be honest, I just kind of felt bad for the bear. I was not greedy when it came to Cocaine Bear. I had simple demands. All I wanted was what I was presented with, okay? I wanted a bunch of unlikable characters who I wanted to see get theirs, and I wanted them to find a bear sniffing cocaine. The bear goes mental and takes them out in one ridiculous set piece after another, and hilarity ensues. Simple concept, that's all you need to do. What I did not expect or want from this movie was... Actual characters, three-dimensional living, breathing characters. I didn't want a plot. I didn't want arcs. I didn't want a backstory. I didn't want good guys. I didn't want bad guys. I didn't want silly characters doing silly things. And I didn't want people trying and failing to be funny. I got all of the above. The good and the bad, okay? There are fleeting moments in Cocaine Bear when it remembers what it's supposed to be and is really funny. And then it goes back to the exact same tropes that didn't work to begin with. It kind of leaves the impression that they gave away, it's one of these movies that gave away everything they had in the trailer. They overthought the shit out of this by thinking about it at all. You had an absolute winner of a concept right there on the table. Stretch it out for 90 minutes, everyone gets paid, and you're immortalized forever with a cult following and as a table quiz answer. Nobody who went to this cared if Elizabeth Banks was a talented director. That wasn't something that we go to Cocaine Bear to prove. In fact, she'd have gained plaudits by just managing to stick the landing here and get out of her own way. Instead, she's trying to capture beautiful scenery. She's trying to get good shots. She's trying to experiment with lighting and VFX and a lot of unnecessary bullshit for what's trying to be an 80s homage cheesy B-movie. And what that leads to is an uneven experience because you're not sure if you're watching that. Because again, at certain 
sometimes you do have like characters show up in like luminous jumpsuits and whatnot, and you're like, okay, that's very 80s. But then at other and you do have like 80s soundtrack in the background, but then at other times you have like long shots where you're like, I think I'm supposed to think this is beautiful and start caring about this landscape, but it's also a really stupid premise. It's just confusing. And what a role for to be one of Ray Liotta's lasts and to finish a glittering career on, which the movie is dedicated to Liotta. He had it right there with Blackbird, like the tearjerker role where he almost went down at his absolute peak. And we're like, right, there you go. Ray Liotta, that is amazing. What a way to sign off. And then movies like this came calling and just left us feeling kind of weird the entire time that this great actor's last impression on us before he passed was this absolute geek. The same goes for really talented, funny actors like Jesse Tyler Ferguson is in this, Margot Martindale and Isaiah Whitlock Jr., who God loved them, tried, but had absolutely nothing to work with because there's different plays to play, there's different ways to play this type of movie. Either it's zinger after zinger after zinger, or the script plays the concept straight and the actors either underplay or overplay their parts to the point that it's funny. What we got was that the script kind of, and this was what surprised me, the script kind of played it straight here and the actors played it straight too. So except for the odd occasion where they didn't, that just came across as really random and then being just weird. There was some overly gratuitous gore, which I guess was supposed to be the joke because <laughs> humans dying. Uh, Cocaine Bear, though, uh, for me, I know a lot of people like this. And again, if you did more power to you, I wanted to kind of get the buzz that a lot of people are from this movie. Uh, but for me, it was a bad trip. Uh, and for me, I think I'm better off just sleeping it off and forgetting it ever happened. Spirit of this house, show yourself. Yeah. <laughs> huh? It's not funny, man. It's totally funny. You're gonna scare it away, dumbass. No, your patronizing crappy exorcist act is scaring it away. Hey. It's me again. This is my my dad, Frank, and my brother, Fulton. What's up? They want to meet you. <laughs> we have a ghost as Netflix's latest starring David Harbour, Anthony Mackie and Jahai Diallo Winston written and directed by Christopher Landon from a short story by Jeff Manaw. The movie sees Mackie's family including teenage son Kevin who Mackie has grown distant from move into a spooky new home known as the Death House on the neighbourhood. There Kevin discovers and befriends a friendly ghost who they call Ernest played by Harbour as the family begin to post videos of Harbour online the plot unravels. You'll likely hear this a lot from me if only because it's the truth and the way it is but this is your bog standard Netflix fair. It's got loads of names attached to it. It looks really expensive, it's loud, colorful, and at the very least, it's watchable. Again, these cinema, these Netflix releases have a high floor. You can watch them on a Saturday night and they're not terrible and going to offend you, but there's little to nothing in the way of actual substance that you're going to remember for. And it's the fact that these are all pretty watchable movies that makes it, for me, a frustrating watch because there's serious talent involved in these projects. And even while they're all sleepwalking and collecting a paycheck, they're still capable of still. Still putting together a relevant
relatively coherent, inoffensive movie. But what kind of gets me here is the reason that it becomes kind of bleh and forgettable is the lack of passion for the project that always, always shines true for these. The times where you can see the writers just half arse the plot point and just replaced it with an expensive set piece because they had the money and thinking about it required a level of giving a shit that they just didn't have. For example, Ernest the Ghost can't speak. He can groan, he can make general noises, and he understands words though, so I don't understand why the ability to speak isn't there. He has no memory of his death, and he can touch people but can't be touched. And why are any of these the case? For absolutely no other reason other than the plot wouldn't work at certain points if they weren't. That's literally it. And also as well, just that begs the question, why would you pay David Harper all of that money and not let him rattle off at least a few lines? It feels like he's on a a bet here to show that he can be a great actor with zero dialogue and I'm not sure if he's the one who won or lost to be honest Tignataro one of the funniest people on the entire planet plays an eccentric pseudo villain in this and is absolutely wasted and look I'm not someone who feels that comedians need to be used in comic roles at all times I'm more of the Vince Gilligan school of thought that they can be incredibly effective dramatically uh, but this movie could use a genuine laugh and Nataro's character has little to nothing to do beyond rattling off generic action movie dialogue why not just use the resources you have effectively and speaking of which Jennifer Coolidge is in this for minutes did anyone see her at the Golden Globes or in White Lotus she's glad for the work here she'd have absolutely loved to be given the chance to cook here and she was right there to do so and instead she's just in and out gone in minutes and it's incredibly frustrating to see talent this good wasted there are times, similar to Cocaine Bear, where this movie gives you a taste of some of the more interesting roads it could have gone down instead of going for a walk down the generic drive. For example, at one stage, you have Erica Ash's Melanie remarking that her family aren't going to be like stupid white folk and kind of sets up an alternate version of this movie. Why not make that movie instead? That'd be amazing. Or when the excellent Elizabeth Rousseau threatens to challenge gender norms or subvert her, subvert her expectations of the type of relationship that she's going to have with Kevin before just kind of fading away to the point that the movie never even bothered to write an ending for that character. Instead of what we could have got, though, we have a ghost as like E.T. If it was made by someone who never actually saw E.T., but you explained the plot of it to them by text. My reaction here is one of more frustration than ranting. I didn't dislike this movie. It's perfectly fine if you want to watch something with your kids or young relatives. But why the hell would you do that when you could just watch E.T. instead? Because this gives you literally nothing new. And if you're anything like me, the fact that it could have and actively chose not to is just going to frustrate you. Sunday in what yeah. seems to be a shot across the bow of independent Nate Stur There's your haystack. Who's your source? That's confidential. Is it the uh, PR associate? I got you the interview. What's your angle? You want top byline? No, I just, I don't think. Who is the whistleblower? You stole it? It's everything we need. They don't give process to shoplifters. I hit a dead end, and so I made a judgment call. Something this big, the ends justify the means. The ends? For who? For you? No, the American people. I should have you fired. You're the one who should be fired. You are phoning it in right in the middle of one of the most crucial elections of both of our lifetimes. Where's the integrity in that? Have fun back at the kids' table, scooping up Kevin Conrad's scraps. Please. 
Somewhere in that pile is the story of a lifetime. I have no desire to commit career suicide just before the lifetime achievements start rolling in on the back of my pension. Literal suicide is a different question, but you're not my therapist. Now, get out of my office! We're done! The Independent, this guy's new American political thriller starring Jodie Turner-Smith, Brian Cox and John Cena, directed by Amy Rice and written by Evan Parter. The story follows Washington Chronicle journalist Eli James and Nicholas Booker, played by Turner-Smith and Cox, as they cover a US election where Cena plays independent candidate Nick Serling, an Olympic medalist long jumper who is threatening to break up the status quo of America's two-party system. Of course, since they're journalists, they pull on threads and spools unravel. Sky has been on a roll with in-house productions recently, and we talked about Dublin Narcos at the start of the show, and also we had last year, Mass and Aisha, were among the best releases of the year for me. And this is kind of awkward, but when I watched The Independent, my thoughts were, you can't win them all. <laughs> the Independent feels like someone wanted to give Succession a Sorkin-esque twist and combine it with the newsroom, even going as far as to hire Brian Cox to play a journalist. And that's kind of a thing where it's like, he they had the idea and it's be careful what you wish for because they went out and got what they wanted. They've got Brian Cox here. They've got Cena here. They've got a lot of good money being put into this. And then when it comes time for the script to actually hold up its end of the bargain, it's frankly, it's lacking. At one stage, Cox laments not being able to read fiction because he's too busy having to write columns. This film made me wish I was watching a good fiction instead of what feels like watching extremely talented people act out your crazy uncle's long, nonsensical 3am Facebook political rants that don't seem to go anywhere or actually have a point to make by the end of it. It's just, I'm generally dissatisfied and someone needs to do something about it. Because while I obviously won't give anything away plot-wise, while that time seems like this movie wants to say a lot of different things but just can't find its way, by the time you get to the end, you realise it doesn't even have a point to make. Do they like the status quo in America or do they hate it? Do they think someone should break through the two-party system or are they saying that the system itself is impenetrable? It's like, did you ever see someone who has their intelligence questioned on Twitter or the likes and it hits a nerve so they feel the need to overcompensate and start using unnecessary necessary flowery language like haha would someone who isn't intelligent say the word superfluous <laughs> i think not my good sire and let's put this under the same radar and take some lines of dialogue here and see if it passes that test okay these are actual lines from the movie okay do you think anyone in the real world talks this way institutions are crumbling reality is under attack another one We've seen what happens when a narcissist with no experience turns delusions of grandeur into reality. So what are we saying? Is that a thing real people say or is that a thing your crazy uncle says on Facebook? Let's do one more. I have no desire to commit career suicide just as the lifetime achievements roll in on top of my pension. Literal suicide is another question, but you're not my therapist. Now get out of my office. Are, are you all right, mate? <laughs> I stopped taking this movie seriously early into it when they had John Cena literally use his professional wrestling catchphrase, their time is up, our time is now, in a serious context early into the movie. You've got every tick box cliche here. You've got an obnoxious white editor talks down to an overlooked but clearly talented young black reporter before passing her idea onto an arrogant young white journalist who complains that it's a tough time for people like him. It's filled with cheap shortcuts, like you've got the corrupt super PAC member who's also a bit of 
of a sex pest just because we need to know he's actually a bad guy. They don't do anything with these things. They just take the shortcuts to kind of tell you this person good and this person bad because the script isn't enough for you to feel how you're going to feel either way. And look, like I said, there's nothing wrong with these premises, but if you're going to bring them up, do something with them. Don't just throw everything you have into one big pot without any thought into it and hope that the end result is going to be Michelin star quality. There is zero nuance, despite the plot itself trying to be nuanced and saying, wait, is there's one side that's black, one side that's white. Is there a third party independent character who could be a shades of gray? Cena is becoming an excellent character actor and I admire him trying to broaden his horizons here, but his casting is fundamentally flawed. I mean, even if I tell you that his character is originally famous for being a long jumper, does 50 immediate things not come into your head why that would be an issue? And this is fiction, by the way. It didn't need to be this way. There's no grand finale here where he challenges his fellow presidential nominees to a long jumping contest to decide the future of democracy. He easily could have been just a weightlifter or a wrestler and made more sense but they threw a dart at the board they decided he'd be a long jumper and so we're absolutely going for it Cox and Turner Smith try their best here but there's no juice to be squeezed from these roles unless the source material is compelling we've just seen the embattled reporters try to fight the system from the inside trope too many times instead you just want to watch Brian Cox be Logan Roy you just want to watch John Cena be Peacemaker and you want to watch Jodie Turner Smith be Queen not because they can't do roles outside of what they're best known for but because you want people this talented to be in situations where they're set up to actually succeed unfortunately the independent Independent is not that. Hey, Shinji. Channel Broker is the brainchild of Japanese director Koro Ida Hirokazu after he learned about the concept of baby boxes where abandoned children are left to be taken in and rehomed, one of which is in Japan, but given the process is much more widespread in South Korea, he opted to set the movie there instead. It follows Hasang Hyung and his friend Dong Su, who both volunteer in a nearby church, running a side business together, stealing abandoned children from the church's baby box to sell to parents on the black market who may struggle to adopt otherwise. The walls seem to be closing in on their plan, though, as they're being investigated by the police and the mother of one such child comes back to find her baby setting our plot into motion movies like Parasite Decision to Leave and Drive My Car have created an expectation of high quality when it comes to Asian movies like this that make it into general release on this side of the water that led to me seeing this in a full lighthouse cinema screen on opening night. It also has a reputation that Broker more than delivers on. What it has in common with these movies is it has an absolutely wild premise that it somehow finds a way to make feel universally relatable. Like you look at this premise and you think that's a really dark story, but actually it's a really, really nice story at the end. Because what where it differs from these movies is it focuses on how people's worst impulses can tear things apart at the seams 
Because where it differs from those movies as well, those movies focus on how people's worst impulses can tear things apart at the seams. In this, we see how they can also, in fact, unite people. It's an absolutely gorgeous film and one of the best you'll see this year. It doesn't go easy on its fractured central characters, but it does illustrate how they can aspire to become the best version of themselves and open themselves up to feelings they had perhaps long since buried. Nobody demonstrates this more than lead actress Bay Donna. In Su Jin, she takes a character who's traditionally been demonized in modern pop culture, the mother who abandons her child, and rounds her into a complex but ultimately likable rounded three-dimensional character. We feel that we understand what would drive her to do so, despite that being such a distressing opening to the movie. Sung Kan Ho is fast becoming a global star and it was really interesting to see an Irish theater treat him as such. After Parasite, we're all now familiar with his authentic but likable comedic beats and it was great to be able to be around people who are anticipating and appreciating this and looking out for it. I can't wait to see more from him and love how he's now able to fill theaters over here as the lead. Sun So Him as well is also an absolute revelation as the absolutely adorable Heijin Stowaway. What's most remarkable is how this movie has police chasing our leads in female pairing Lee Lee Jo Hyung and Young Jin Baek who somehow you find yourself also rooting for and relating to despite their motivations being at odds with the people that we're following. It's an absolute triumph for Hirokazu, a movie that sees all sides when it could choose to demonize, that soothes when it could choose to traumatize, that makes you smile when it could make you easily make you cry instead. These are all clear distinct choices in a movie about choice. It's about choosing whether or not to be a mother, choosing to have a newfound family and embrace that, choosing how to let let your difficult past positively impact others. If you're going to make one choice this week, though, I recommend you choose to watch Broker because it's absolutely magnificent. Max, if we don't pass Fernando on the exit of 12, can we let Checo through, please? Let Checo back through. Okay, if Max does not pass Fernando, I'll let you through the exit of turn 12. Yeah, don't worry about the DRS, Max. Let Checo through. Let Checo through. Max, let Checo through, please. Max, what happened? I told you already last time. You guys don't ask that again to me. Okay? Are we clear about that? I gave my reasons, and I stand by it. Yeah. Thank you for that, guys. Thank you. Sorry about that, Checo. We'll DP everything afterwards. Yeah, it shows who he released. Well, guys, we're going to dip into the world of sport now. Uh, it is F1 season back this Sunday uh, with the first Grand Prix of the season, the Bahrain Grand Prix. Obviously, people were delighted to have. I've never seen so many people watching and discussing the testing beforehand, but it's kind of a testament to how big Formula One has gotten, largely due to Drive to Survive, and obviously Max Verstappen versus Lewis Hamilton, a classic season as well. Um, and to the point that even now you have Sky Sports launching a new F1 Ultra HD channel that's free to subscribers who have the sports and Ultra HD pack. So it's like everyone's pulling out all the stuff for F1. Um, it is becoming huge and the expansion continues and continues. And what better way to discuss it? Obviously, I'm a revived fan. I used to watch it back in the days with Damon Hill and Coulthard and Villeneuve and Hakkinen and Schumacher was obviously my favorite back in the day. Um, but I've got back into it because of Drive to Survive in recent years. What better way for me to watch it and for you to get a preview of what's going to happen than to listen to two non-drivers but enthusiastic <laughs> fans 
<laughs> Look, we may not have a learner permit, but like we are, you cannot fault our enthusiasm for Formula One. It's myself and Corporate Keen. Uh, you're very welcome to uh, page 180. Keen, are you, are, are you feeling the fever pitch? How is the throttle? Uh, I don't know. Car words, <laughs> yeah, and the room. I don't know. I, I can't think of this. steering into this season. Yeah, something like there that. There you go. Know. That works. <laughs> um, funny. I actually had not, like I'm actually dumb, right? I didn't put two and two together because you were like, oh, you know, do you want to do the Formula One podcast? You know, before the season starts, obviously. And I was like, oh, a bit early. You know what I mean? I, I didn't think it was starting for like another like two months or something like that. And I checked the, uh, I checked like next F1 race, and it was like March fifth. I was like when that happened I got really excited like before that I was like oh yeah it's not for ages when I saw that it's like literally this week oh I cannot fucking wait and that means MotoGP is the following week as well so I am literally I'm buzzing now yeah I'm in a great mood good good I love it you're I, I love our Formula 1 chats and even when we used to do Ask Low Blows together like you'd always get we've been there for half an hour <laughs> yeah, you get, yeah and you get people but you get people who, who like write in asking us questions so obviously like there is like a subsection of two three weirdos out there who like hearing us talk about it <laughs> hearing our non-driving thoughts about steering and throttle I keep going back to throttle gears, <laughs> gear, gearing gears, into this they ha- they topic <laughs> <laughs> but like Drive to Survive is obviously a huge part of um the, the Formula One experience now and it's, it's it sparked the revival particularly in the United States which is a huge factor this season it's something that you're actually not into um, which I find really interesting talk to me about that why is it that you, you don't like Drive to Survive and you're for the record you're one of the biggest Formula One fans I know um, but Drive to Survive just doesn't do it for you explain I actually don't dislike Drive to Survive. I just don't watch it. I think it's okay. it's great for the sport. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, well, like what you're saying, basically a lot, there are Formula One fans who don't like it. I did see this hilarious clip once of uh, like real life versus Drive to Survive. And it was like, uh, <laughs> I think it was like Charlotte Claire or something like that crashed. And he like crashed into the wall and they're like, are you all right? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> but then in the Drive to Survive, it was like, are you all right? And then it was silence, music, tension. And then, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. So they dramatize it, but I I think it's it, it's been great for the sport. The reason I don't watch it, it's it's not like I don't dislike it. I just don't feel the need to watch it because I'm like, there's just so many things to watch, yeah. and I'm like, I'm already invested. I already know who everyone is. I'm already looking forward to the season. Like, and I know what happens. Like, I know I, I know what the results were. Like, I, <laughs> I watched the competition. Yeah, that's true. So. Yeah, for me, like, I don't know. I just, I already have my opinions on people. Like, I might hate somebody because their name or like somebody because they drive a certain colored car or whatever. And that's enough for me. I'm like, I'm invested. And then the more you watch it, the more you get invested anyway. So I, for me, it's more so a case of like, I don't see the point in me watching it personally. But uh, I like the show kind of for what it is for, for those that do watch it. You know, kind of wait. Okay. Partially for the purpose of this conversation, um, I inhaled the new series. And plus, I'm addicted to it anyway. I love the new series. And there's stuff that, again, you just can't get it. Like, for example, you have Toto Wolf going absolutely psycho in, like, an owner's meeting. You have him going, <laughs> I guess none of you care about safety. And I guess you all want to see all the drivers die. <laughs> We're all like, whoa. <laughs> because he's really under pressure because of how shit Mercedes were last year. Or you get, like, a Red Bull scandal where, like, you know... All the owners are going, yeah, Rebel definitely overspent. Rebel definitely overspent. And then you get Christian Horner, who, like, 
I love him. I, I hate him, but I love him. You know what I mean? He's great for the sport, but he's so smug and he's just a great heel, especially when Red Bull are doing well. Um, and he's like, you know what? You get all these people that they're jealous when things are going well. And then like for the entire episode, he's he's like walking up to Toto Wolf and the Ferrari owner um, chatting. And he's like, oh, you guys making up lies again, I suppose. And then like <laughs> halfway through the episode, it's like, so yeah, turns out we actually did overspend. <laughs> <laughs> it is brilliant. Um, I love that. I thought it was an excellent series. But look, I also get your point as well. You know what happens when it gets so Thing. Like the end of the series, the last episode is like, who is gonna finish fifth in the world championship? Like, yeah, yeah, was it like that? Was it? Yeah, who's gonna finish the fourth best team in the constructors? <laughs> it's just like, no, it's not really working. Um, but like, so this new season, a lot of different subplots, a bit of feels like a bit of a transition phase, even though maybe not with the actual championship, but we'll discuss that kind of separately. Feels like there's a lot happening within the sport, though. A lot of new rookies coming in um, and like kind of even like within the teams themselves. What is it that you're most looking forward to about this new season? What do you feel is the storyline that's hooking you in? Aston Martin. I I Love since <laughs> since Aston Martin started, I've that I've been like that's my team because obviously they came from Racing Point. Racing Point were my team. <laughs> and the lineage goes all the way back to um fucking Jordan and all that, you know what I mean? Which is like obviously like an Irish team and all. So I'm like, right, this I just always felt connected with this team, right? But um, now they have Alonso in there as well. Like that is class. Like I love Alonso. I'm one of Lance Stroll's four fans. I like it's it's just it's just my team, and I I don't really pay too much attention to like testing and you know before anything that really happens before the race because you know it. Well, maybe qualifying, but like you know the practices and things like that. I don't really read too much into it. But I did see the only thing I did see popped up on my Twitter was Alonso second. I don't know if that meant anything. Might meant nothing. But I'm like, hmm. <laughs> Who knows? If Aston Martin, it, it what what I'm what I'm really looking forward to is right. The the end of the season can fizzle out, and it fizzled out last year. I didn't like I didn't watch the last few races, yeah. but the start of the season is just so unpredictable because like I remember was it last year? It was last year. I keep thinking this is two years ago. Last year when uh Lew, remember when Lewis Hamilton qualified in he got knocked out in Q one on yeah. pace for the first time in like over since two thousand nine or something yeah. like that. And everyone was, was like Yeah, he was just yeah. he just lost and it was like, yeah. Oh my god. I love that. I love the um the restructuring of things that you're not expecting. You know what I mean? It's so fucking exciting. Remember like, Magnuson uh, last year? Yeah. Remember it was, it was like uh, my was it like Bottas went to Alfa Romeo and then like fucking ah oh, it was just yeah no Bottas finished ahead of uh, Hamilton that's what it was yeah. when he went to Alfa Romeo and it was like oh my god what the fuck and then Magnussen was involved and it was just there was just so much going on that I was like this is actually like ins-. and I, I again like I don't I don't have any predictions going into Bahrain anything can happen that's that for me is the exciting part like yeah, yeah I agree what I'm looking forward to this year is civil war season. Okay, you've usually got like, you know, is it Red Bull or Mercedes? Do you know what I mean? Red Bull are pulling away from the pack now. And even in testing, it looks like they've hit the ground running yet again. Perhaps a bit frustratingly, you know what I mean? And and, and again, like it can get boring. Like just as it was nice to see Mercedes stranglehold broken uh, a couple of years ago when Verstappen won the championship on the last race. You know, it, it looks like Red Bull are kind of taking over in that sense. Okay, but... Like where you used to have this harmonious Red Bull team that looked perfect for so much of last season. The clip that we played coming into this was 
Max Verstappen refusing to give up his spot for Sergio Perez for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> it was just spiteful. And then Perez being like, I guess it shows what kind of person he is. You know, I don't think we're going to see them go to war like Alonso and Hamilton uh, way back in like McLaren. But like, I think there's going to be like, again, that fractured something. And they put on a brave face afterwards and kind of smiled for the cameras and everything. They're like, look, these things happen. But I, I think there's going to be that there. But that's not all. It's happening within every team. Ferrari. Carlos Sainz was the better driver for Ferrari for the back half of the season. The only reason Leclerc got a lot of the calls was because Leclerc was had won races at the start of the season, was seen as the better championship contender. But Carlos Sainz didn't join Ferrari to be the second driver. They've also got a new team principal with Fred Vasseur coming in from Alfa Romeo. Then you've got Mercedes. You've got Hamilton and Russell. You've got like the change in the guard there. I don't know. Hamilton has never been the type of guy... He knows how to say the right things in interviews. He knows how to give a good impression and put on the Disney face is, is a phrase I've heard to kind of describe him. But he doesn't seem like the type of guy who's going to be, I am going to allow George Russell to be the guy and now I'm going to be the Bottas of the team. That doesn't seem to wrinkle well. And like, again, like even with, if you think of like the people that he's in the same league as the Michael Schumachers and so on, they never wanted to be second. It was not a thing. It was like, I'm Lewis fucking Hamilton. Even Fernando Alonso still has that same vibes. And that's kind of what sparked him going to Aston Martin. So I'm looking to, forward to the inter-team rivalries. I don't think there's going to be much of a race for the championship. I think that's going to be fairly predictable. But I think if you can get invested in those kind of rivalries between the teams and so on, then you've got something special. But also I think a thing to get excited about is, and I know this is something that you pay a lot of attention to in particular, there's a lot of new faces coming in. So we have, and again, McLaren is another team that might have a bit of a rivalry because you have uh, Lando Norris there has obviously been the alpha dog for a while. Daniel Ricciardo, by the way, another highlight of Drive to Survive being the emotional video package they put together for Daniel Ricciardo. And it's pretty much like emotional music. It's like, leave the memories alone, but it's him talking about his balls a lot. <laughs> <It was pretty, laughs> that's his personality. Like he's a bollocks like, and that's why everyone loves him. Um, but it was brilliant. But now he's obviously gone. He's, he's a backup driver now um but like he's replaced by oscar piastri and at mclaren are they gonna how are they gonna get along who's the number one driver you'd assume norris but again piastri hasn't come in to be number two uh if nick devries coming out in alpha tori you've got logan Sargent, the first u.s driver in a long time coming in for williams you've got nico ulkenberg coming back returning to join haas um who are you most excited about in terms of the rookies are there people like kind of coming back into the sport is is there any in particular that you're 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 gonna get invested in so, uh, a few answers. Again, this is why I have the driver's list in front of me. Um, <laughs> Hulkenberg, I was never... See, I think he was in the sport when I wasn't watching. So, I never cared about Hulkenberg. He was always the person that got... That replaced, you know, people when they had COVID. So, I just, I just never really... I just never really cared. And when I, see, when I seen him back in Haas over Schumacher and all that, it's kind of like, I don't know. There's, there's people I'd, I'd rather see in there, like Callum Eilat and people like that. I don't know. There's, I, just, I just never really cared. Um... But there are some exciting names coming in. Like, Oscar Piastri is the big one for me. He should have been there last year. Uh, I watched him fucking dominate uh, F2 and all that sort of stuff. He's, he, he is unbelievable. I'm really, really curious to see how he gets on. Sometimes you'll see a prospect do really, really, really well, like, you know, in F2 or whatever. And, I mean, I think Latifi won F2. Do you know what I mean? Like, you, you don't know. It could be the next big thing or it could just be, you know, whatever, another driver. But 
I'm really like McLaren. I was never really a big McLaren person. I always felt like it was a team that I don't know. It was like it was like Twitter's team, but I just never really felt connected to it. Um, but this year with Piastri in there, and I'm not against Norris either. I think I think it's gonna be a, a very fun team to watch. Uh, Logan Sargent, I'm very interested in. I do remember watching him in, in F3, and again, like he's got a name that is just so american that just makes me laugh that i was rooting for him from the start so it's cool to see him in there and williams i love williams generally i love alex albon as well so i'd love to see williams do well um i hate the way like a lot of my favorite teams are shite um <laughs> i although here's the team that it, it interests me and you mentioned civil war this this is very civil war-esque because they have a lot of history pierre gasly and esteban ocon yes. at alpine yes. how french is that team by the way Pierre Gasly, Esteban Ocon, and Renault. Like it's literally like the most French. Like I don't. It's nothing. Like I'm fairly neutral on France as a country, but I do think yeah. it's cool that they've just got this one team. That like if I was French, I'd be buzzing for this. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like if there was an Irish equivalent to that, I'd be so excited. Do you know what I mean? I think I think that team could. I think that's the possibly the underrated one in the bunch. Um, Nick De Vries. I mean, he's somebody who people have been after for ages in Formula One. I think he's he's the one that was in Formula E uh, for the last two years after he won Formula Two. So I'm delighted to finally see him in there. I love Al- Alpha Terry as well. They're another team. They're they're another cool team. You know what I mean? Like mm. not 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 shite, but not class either. They're just yeah. this like cool in the middle team that you don't notice, but they are deadly. Wild cards. They're the absolute yeah. wild cards. They like, just come in time... and win the race. Like, do you remember yeah, Ocon yeah. won? Yeah. Or no, uh, Ocon was, uh, I think that was Alpine, but do you remember when, uh, Alpine, when Gasly yeah. won it? Yes. How bad is that? Gasly and Ocon were the two. Like... Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> there you crazy, go. Like... They're connected. Oh, no, no, they're connected. This, I'm, I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to that team. There you go. Alpine, you've got the French Revolution. You also have the <laughs> US Revolution. Obviously, we spoke there about Logan Sargent coming in, the, the US driver for Williams. And obviously, they're looking to kind of satiate the market there. So, again, I kind of temper my expectations. It's kind of similar uh, to, with the greatest of respects, Yao Guan Yu, who, like, again, you're like, are you just there because you know China's got a big market? Are you there on merit? You don't know. Um, but again, like kind of we'll, we'll see and we'll give them a chance, and you never know. But the US has taken over. Um, they're gonna have three races this season. So you've got one in Miami, you've got the traditional US Grand Prix, and then you also have uh now the Las Vegas Grand Prix, which again, Drive to Survive is pushing that like that was like the big thing in the coming up next season, <laughs> um, taking over Vegas. And to be honest, like having gone to Vegas there last year, I am really hyped to see like it take over the strip. That's gonna look class. Um, but what are your thoughts on the US experience? Expansion of the sport. Like, for example, here's kind of the differences that we're getting. The Vegas race is going to be. Did, have you heard about the, the setup for the Vegas race? No, none of this. No. So it's on a Saturday night. Okay. <laughs> At 3 a.m. It's like a UFC uh, event. All right. What are your thoughts kind of on the US expansion and how's like little changes like that kind of sitting with you? Doesn't bother me. Uh, like for me, um, you know, I've, I've always, like, I'd say about 85% of the races I've watched in Formula One. I've been busy during the day, so I just watched that at night. And also, when you're watching it like in advance, like uh, like late, like afterwards, um, you know, you can skip like red flags and things like that, and delays. Like you literally just skip past them. So to be honest, like st- not having to or, or not watching it live and having to watch it the next day, that doesn't bother me. I'd, I'd probably be doing that in a lot of cases anyway. Um, I think yeah. <sighs> I suppose I don't really see a reason why there shouldn't be more US races. It's kind of America's kind of a funny one because in Europe, you know what I mean. 
you look at every country, say there's a UK race, an Azerbaijan race, uh, and it, well, there's two Italy races, I think. But, um, yeah. you know, you look at every country and it's like there's one race for each country. But America is so fucking big that it's like you can't just have like one American race. Where, like, right, that's it. That's the America. Do you know what I mean? It's like 50 countries yeah. in one. So you kind of have to have, I think, a few if that's the market that you want to kind of explore a bit. Um, I'm, I'm still not at a, a stage where... I I have strong opinions on tracks, really. Like maybe maybe like some of them, but um, that was one thing I kind of noticed. Uh, the difference between me last year and me, like say the first year where I watched Formula One, is that uh, I'm starting to notice different tracks, and I'm like, oh yeah, like the Azerbaijan one is the one I I, I mentioned Baku. I I really love that track. Yeah, um, it's great. And then there's 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 some other ones that I'm a big fan of as well. Um, but it's more just a case of, like I'm, I'm still at that stage where I'm like just recognizing them. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I don't really have any strong opinions. I'm kind of like, I might, if they're good, if they're good tracks, good races. Um, I don't know more. Ra- I I'm very much in the camp that like the more races, the merrier. I know some people think like, oh, I like to have a limit of like, I don't know what the, what the number of races is, but like, um, you know, they like to have a certain limit, no more than this amount of races. Otherwise, it's too much. I'm happy. You know, I mean, if you told me right next year we have a 52 race season, 52 weeks in a row, you know, we have like. Grant? <laughs> yeah, let's do this. Yeah, I'll be the same. Yeah, I'll be the exact same. Um, do you know what you need to do if you don't already? And I was talking to someone at work about this, and they do the exact same as me. And it's added so much to my F1 experience. Get the F1 game and the weekend of it. So, like on the Saturday of the race, play the play like the race. You know what I mean? Of it. Because then you get to it and like you'll see a crash going, and you're like, yeah, that corner, it's a bitch, right? <laughs> That's actually not a bad idea. I had the F1 brilliant. game. I had the F1 game. Uh, I think I got it a few months ago. I was absolutely fucking brutal at it. So yeah, uh, yeah no, that's actually not a bad idea. To be fair, it's brilliant. Like, because you're just like again, it's just it's it enhances it because you know what corners they're coming up against, and you're like, oh, how's he going to do against that corner? Like, oh, there's a corner you can overtake on. Like, it really does give you that kind of. I relate feel. to yeah. stopping in that respect oh, because oh. I also drive on that track. But of course, yeah, yeah, throttle, throttle. <laughs> <laughs> um, also as well a, a change coming in this season is we've got a record break in 23 races with 6 sprint races so you've got Azerbaijan, Austria, Belgium, Qatar Texas and Brazil are all going to the sprint race format w- are you happy with this expansion? I know it's it's kind of one it's, it's a bit of the Formula 1 VAR discussion where traditionalists hate the idea of a sprint race um, what are your own thoughts on it? I remember being so excited when they announced uh, sprint races because I used to watch them in F2 and F3 and all, but I just never got around to watching them. I just feel like there's something about Formula 1 on a Saturday. Just, I'm always busy. I don't, know how, I don't know how to explain it. Like That's why like I never get to watch qualifying either. I'm just always busy. So I'm always like, ah, I kind of feel like I missed something there. It's kind of like, I just, it, I'm, I'm, like I'm, it's funny because people have very like strong opinions either way. I'm kind of caught in the middle where it's like, I don't think it's a bad idea but I prefer when they don't have a sprint race because I always end up fucking missing it. I don't have time to watch it before the actual race because the race is the next day. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like, kind of like a half race. It's a weird one. I think there's a lot of potential. It could be, it could be good. I think it's one of those things where it kind of, there hasn't been enough of them yet to really say for sure if it's a good or a bad idea. We're kind of just going to have to wait and see, I think. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of similar. It's last year there was one, I think who was it? Was it Magnuson got pole outright on the Friday? And then he went into the sprint race. I think it was Magnuson. Uh he went into the sprint race then and he was like, you know, 13th. <laughs> and then it was like because he's going up like actually head to head with much better cars. So there, there's that side of it. 
I also do think it's exciting. Like again, it's it's a different type of race. It's like there's unless something goes horribly wrong, there's no pit stops. And if you're in the pits, you're fucked. And it <laughs> could just ruin your entire weekend. Um, so like I do like that aspect of it. There is some there, there's been some exciting races. Like you're gonna get overtakes and stuff like that. You've got people, you know, r- racing more aggressive than they would normally. So there's there's positives and negatives too. I'm not a, I don't hate it. Um but again, I kind of like, let's just pick a lane and commit. I do like having three-day weekends where I care about it. Because don't get me wrong, I'll stick a practice on in the background. But I'm just <laughs> watching a bit of it. I'm just going, oh, yeah, no, of course, that corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Corner, <laughs> corner 12. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I've never watched a practice in my life. I'm not, like yeah. Qualifying, I've watched a couple of times. So it can be good. But I've never watched a practice. I, I just stick it on the background. I have no interest in it. But I do, <laughs> I do watch a quality. I love a quality. Like, and like having that on the Friday, then the sprint race on the Saturday, then the actual race on the Sunday. Yeah. I, it is good, the full weekend experience. So, look, there's merits to it. But again, like, it, it does kind of take away the randomness of it where you have someone who just has an amazing quality. They're, they're out of it by Sunday. Because again, like, you just have first corner, Verstappen is just like, pew. And then like Ferrari and it's like pew and it's just like okay oh, yeah, I think that's you've actually you know what you've actually changed my mind on it that that has actually put me in a camp now I I am now against it just because okay. of that okay. <laughs> oh well, look there we go it's we're getting hot takes literally fresh out of the oven here um okay so last kind of question is do you think this is Verstappen to lose to make it three in a row or do you have any other kind of wild predictions and kind of just to note as well if Max does win three in a row at 22 this is the, the club he's joining Juan, Juan Manuel Fangio don't know who he is if I'm being honest I, say one matter. I was like what he's one of the one matters of the world to do something three times in a row <laughs> <laughs> one matter once wore odd socks to train and three times right it's a bit of a different thing but like three <laughs> <laughs> no uh, Michael Schumacher uh, Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton are the only people to ever win three championships in a row um, do you think it's it's Verstappen to lose or do you think there'll be anyone in the mix we saw Mercedes improve towards the end of the season last year Ferrari you know under a new team boss, a lot of what cost Ferrari a lot of races last year was just Ferrari being fuck ups, like pulling people into the pit and then be like, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> <laughs> you told me you said fucks. That's what that means. Um. So and David, new boss, like, where are you feeling in terms of the the drivers? Um. There's a reason why I have never, I never have, and never will bet on motorsport. I think it's, yeah. it is a probably the most useless sport in the world to predict. Like, like football, I will have reasons for like saying certain things, or like MMA, I have very strong opinions on. This is why X fighter will win. Uh, with motorsport, like I don't know, I, I, on until I see somebody challenge Verstappen, I have no reason to believe why Verstappen won't just like, you know, smack everyone around. Yeah. Um, for me, like. Like, I, I was happy he won last year in the sense that I'm glad he got a season without any controversy to say, look, this is my title. Now shut your moan and you know, that kind of way. Um, And obviously the season for that was unbelievable. But for me, like, I kind of take a, a stance on, on motorsport that's, like, with Formula 1 anyway, that's kind of very different to football, right? Like, I want Shamrock Rovers to beat every team. I want them to ruin football. Just beat every single team, make it as boring as possible and win every competition imaginable. Whereas with motorsport, it's like, I don't, I'm, root, I'm rooting against, like I was 
like passionately rooting for Verstappen in 2021. Now I'm like, I hope it's anyone else. Do you know what I mean? Or, or not, not that like I want him to lose. I don't mind if he wins, but I want it to go up to the to the end. Do you know what I mean? I want like even if it's like so Russell or Hamilton, like I never would have cheered for Hamilton like last year or the year before. But if Hamilton like challenges Verstappen now and change and you know what I mean, like brings great. it back. Um never really like I love Ferrari when I was a kid. I don't like I'm not a big Leclerc or Science fan, so I'm not really big into Ferrari nowadays. But if Leclerc challenged Verstappen, I'd be buzzing. You know what I mean? Like if any Alonso, that'd be the that'd be the dream. <laughs> um, the one thing I don't like is the fact that I just don't think like Perez is on that level. I just like that's and I, you were you were mentioned civil war, and I like there are some teams here where I'm like, yeah, that sounds interesting. Hamilton, Russell, uh, Gasly, Ocon, but I don't see that in Red Bull because I'm like, I just think Perez. First of all, he's not on the level of Verstappen, and also, I I just think he's too like nice or soft personality wise I could be I could be dead wrong I don't know this fella do you know what I mean but I just feel like he'll fall in line and it's just going to be like Verstappen 1 Perez 2 yeah. Um. but if anyone if anyone challenged Verstappen I'd be I'd be really excited by it you know what I mean I, I've got the same one too for the championship because again yeah on a race race basis you can't because that's why we love it it's such a wild card sport and anything can happen at any stage but you can on a longer playing field you know what I mean like last year at the start it looked like Ferrari were going to run away with it and then by the end like five races out like it's literally <laughs> Max is like did I win this now or do I have to get a point at the next you know what I mean it was boring by the end he literally... so shy he literally <laughs> like, oh you won by the way oh class yeah. fantastic <laughs> yeah. oh, that's, that's nice yeah no. Like a firework or anything, nah, right, cool. <laughs> don't, don't trouble yourself, baby. You're all right. <laughs> what I liked last year was just that heel turn that Max had, though. You know what I mean? And like Checo, <laughs> again, I agree with you. The Checo is like that, he is that guy that, like, he probably is too nice. And it's why Red Bull just aren't going to allow Checo to kind of uh, contend with Max anyway. Um, so I, I, and I think he, like, he knows a good thing when he has it. So I think it will be a one two with those two. I think it's going to be an absolute battlefield from third to sixth. I think that's going to be the, the thing to watch and the inter team kind of strife and how will teams favorite, will drivers listen, will they start to get because we haven't seen that in a while. Do you know what I mean? We haven't kind of got teams where they're like, you know, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to follow team orders. You know, that, <laughs> that happens. Like, you get that all the time. Again, Hamilton and Alonso, oh my God. God, when the best season in Formula One where they're just like now nah, we're going to race every race and it's like uh, <laughs> please, please move out of the way Lewis no no not going to move out of the way uh, Alonso you need to move out no I that, I believe I don't I, I can do what I want I am the win <laughs> like again I think we're going to get a bit of that this season so I can't wait because uh, yeah that's long overdue but yeah Max won Checo too unfortunately uh, Max runs away with it but uh, yeah there's lots to watch anyway and lots to be excited about and Corbett Keane part of what I'm looking forward to is having conversations like this with you over the next <laughs> um, this has got to be excited I'm buzzing now like this is actually dead yeah so am I but like now we're <laughs> Recording this on Monday, so now we've a whole week to wait. <laughs> I'm literally I'm watching NASCAR and pretending to care about it after this. That's there my plan because I'm like, there look, this is a Get race the game, fix. Man. Get the game, man. <laughs> Bahrain is in the game, so you can just ah, yeah, no corner four, yeah, corner four. It's a little, it's a bitch, it's a bitch. I'm just like <laughs> start using like car words, like trotting, um, a lot around people. Um, Corporate Keen, absolute pleasure to have you here on Page One Eighty. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the season. Uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm still here (laughs) wait who gave you the black eye tell me where you were give me a name and I'll fuck him up it was Bethany and I already fucked her up where were you
I joined the Fireflies. Oh, fuck you. I'm not in the mood for this, Riley. I'm really not in the mood. You're a Firefly? Jesus. I told you I'd fucking do it. Talking about liberating the QC is not the same as... Fuck, where did you even... Slow down, slow down. I will tell you everything. First, you have to promise me something. Sort of crazy, and you're gonna say no, but then you have to say yes. Come with me for a few hours and have the best night of your life. No. Okay, now say yes. I'm not going anywhere with you. It's great, it's 2 a.m. and in a few hours I have drills where we learn to kill fireflies. Get dressed. You're so weird about that. All right, there we go, guys. It's time to go into the spoiler verse for the latest episode of The Last of Us, episode seven, Left Behind. Guys, if it's your first time listening to uh, a recap, just to cover what we're going to do spoiler-wise, if you have watched up until the latest episode, you are safe. If you haven't watched episode seven, watch it and then come back and uh, you'll be good to go. We will, we are gamers and we are going to talk about The Last of Us game, but the way we talk about it is we want to kind of give you backstory and enhance your enjoyment of it so we may make comparisons give you a bit of extra background but we're not going to talk about any plot details that come in after episode seven so we won't give away anything you need to know but we may kind of allude to it or kind of talk use our game knowledge to kind of just enhance your experience and enjoyment of it uh this week uh to join this uh, to discuss this as we jump back in uh i'm being joined by not one but two kevs uh because we can't do it one kev just just wouldn't be enough to co- to tackle this episode uh, Kev Keen of Fan Club and former pro wrestler or current pro wrestler. I don't know what the status is there. Ballymun oh, Bruiser. No, no, never again. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just like sidetracked you into retiring. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I just kind of assumed I was <laughs> over. Heard it here first. <laughs> there you go. We got the exclusive. I just forced it out of him. That's that's the way to get news. <laughs> if someone says former, then you just kind of have to assume that you're done. <laughs> Sorry, Bruiser. <laughs> anyway, give me a favor. <laughs> <laughs> you're very welcome back to page 180. Uh, how are we feeling now? We're heading into the home stretch. Are we getting emotional? Are we ready for it to end? How how's it kind of settling with uh, Bruiser? How are you feeling? Um, yeah, like uh, I I don't like the DLC. Okay. I don't like the DLC episode. Okay. Uh, I played the game the first time without any DLC, so I just didn't think it was needed. Okay. You know, uh, I think there's a lot to now try and fit in in the last three episodes. Two. I probably would have liked them to not have it in. Okay. You know that way, just. Uh, but yeah, like I'm ha- It's got to be an action-packed three episodes. Now they've left that there's a lot to fit in to the last three episodes. You know, so I, I, I don't want to alarm you, but it's two episodes. It's not three. What? Oh, <laughs> There's yeah. even more. Need to waste a fucking episode on a fucking story. I love story in the middle of a fucking. Oh, come on. Okay, okay, we will discuss. Don't worry, hold your fire. We will discuss the episode. Okay, okay, we're heading into the last couple of episodes. Uh, how are you feeling now? Are you getting kind of as has the grieving process started, or are you kind of ready to get to the the, the big the, the big hitters? I'm just really yeah, excited for this home stretch now because I know we, we all know what the next episode's going to be, and it's one of I'm sure all our most anticipated episodes. 
I'd agree with Kev though as well. I wasn't a massive fan of uh, of of last night's episode either. Hey, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm loving this. Interesting. All right, and and I have something to say as well. So like, I'm not a million miles away from where you guys are. Okay, but before yeah. we get into discussing it, let's frame what we're discussing as we always do let's give our alt recap and let's kind of remind ourselves where we're at and what happened and that can kind of tailor our, our, our kind of jumping off points in the conversation we have so episode 7 left behind and we check back in with Ellie treating Joel's stab wound tell, with him telling her to go north and find Tommy as that triggers a flashback to her getting in a fight in a PE class in the QZ and wow Ellie's flashbacks really go back to the start don't they like could you speed up the whole rem- remembering shit there Ellie please Joel is literally bleeding out in the garage. Like, could you, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, this reminds me of back when I was in PE as a child. It's like, no, he's dying. Like, make a decision here. Hurry up. In the flashback, we see our old best O'Reilly invade her room at night and scare her, which is a massive dick move in a world where the dead are coming back as mushrooms to eat you alive permanently. Riley tells her that she's joined the Firefly but has returned to give Ellie the best night of her life. Seriously, having the person you fancy tell you that and then taking you to a shopping center to drink some booze you found on a corpse is worse than having a tinder date in a mcdonald's drive-thru come on riley you can do better than that she shows her the electric stairs a merry-go-round they giggle at the lingerie and victoria's secret and they play some mortal kombat 2 oh it's such a perfect day if you're six uh, the romance is killed though when uh, literally uh, when to continue the earlier metaphor it's like your tinder date in a mcdonald's turns out to be a lifelong member of Sinn Féin because ellie finds some pipe bombs that riley's just been chilling out with uh, when she's not on a merry-go-round. Uh, Ellie storms off but eventually goes back for an old dance from the shift. Uh, that is until an effect that absolutely wrecks the buzz and bites both of them before Ellie takes it out with a knife. They agree to stick together until the infection takes them though. That brings Ellie back to the present. Wait, <laughs> that was it? That was all you wanted to remember? All of that so you could just say, never give up? In the meantime, while she's been thinking about all this, Joel has bled out on the floor and is now dead and his body's starting to disintegrate great and that was episode seven. Oh no it wasn't really joel's still alive uh but yeah ellie's gone back to save him because never give up or something like that that's episode seven left behind so guys we're kind of getting into it okay we're not really feeling it so uh bruiser we kind of got your uh high level high, uh kind of kind of feelings around it kev you've touched on it so you can give us a bit more you're not kind of you weren't into this week's episode uh yeah and it's it's probably for a, a weird reason of it wasn't changed enough it's the exact same as the game for for the as the DLC that like there was just and I I know we we know most of the story beats going ahead anyway but it was just like watching someone play the DLC in front of me like it was just too similar there was one or two bits I quite liked that they kind of added in like the um oh the is he the the commander he when he was having that chat with Ellie. Uh, yes. when she when she punched out the girl. I thought that was a good way of kind of maybe humanizing Fedra a little bit and maybe kind of making them not out to be completely bad guys in a way. I thought that kind of humanized them a little bit because you don't really get to spend that much time with any of Fedra really. Um and I thought that was a nice kind of juxtaposition. But like for the most part, uh bar one or two little bits, it was just too similar to the game for me. And that was okay. that's pretty uh a weird nitpick but uh yeah i just wasn't really a fan of it okay i uh, yeah i agree 
uh, a lot with that because again like yeah there's just not enough there to kind of for us mm. to get really stuck into our emotionally invested because we know the beats it's going to hit and like I imagine if I hadn't seen this I'd say it's a great episode so again like I see yeah, a lot of people that's... raving about this and I don't want to take away from the artistic merit of it I enjoyed watching this but again yeah I can't say that it hit me in the same way episode 3 or 5 did and it is something that it's interesting because Bruce, I remember you kind of saying that you weren't mad about the ad- the adaptation side of this sometimes, and that you're like, we have the perfect script here. Do you think kind of this is more score one point four having adapted, or kind of was yeah, it just yeah, you don't like Left Behind in general? No, I don't. I don't love Left Behind at all, especially where it comes in. It comes in, at, you know, such a pivotal moment where the intensity is so high, everything's just happened, and that you know you can kind of. <laughs> get straight into the action or we can really get depressed for a while. You know what I mean? And have this slow build situation. I just, I don't think it was needed, you know? I didn't play that DLC until I've done a replay on the PS5 or PS4 or whatever. Yeah. So, so uh, when I was playing, I was kind of just like, well, you've just taken me momentum away. You know, you've just, you, it just disappeared. And uh, I felt the same again in the episode, but kind of taking the momentum away. As you said, He's bleeding out, and we have a forty-five minute cutscene. Mm. You know, to, uh, like fuck off, come on. He's bleeding out, like you know, sort this shit out. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I just I generally wasn't knew I wasn't gonna like it. As soon as it started, as soon as he was in the gym, I was like, oh fuck, here we go. I know what this is. It's gonna be the entire episode, and I'm not gonna like it. I just, but it was very close to the uh, to, to the game part as. Kev said probably the best scene to me was the commander bit because it was new and fresh and just created a little bit of a different perspective on things. But uh, everything else was just very, you know, much the same. As I have one question for you, though. I hope I don't. Uh, right. the tears. What year is this supposed to, the, the gimmick supposed to happen in again where everything goes to shit? 20, so it's this year, so 2023. So the, the apocalypse happened in 2003. This Look, is 2023. But Mortal Kombat 2 in an arcade. Wait. Mortal, Mortal Kombat 2 is in yeah, Token, that... I think. Yeah. Is, is what? Yeah, Token. This is a fucking children's <laughs> arcade. I've been to them recently because I have a tiny child that loves going to this boxing play center. And Mortal Kombat 2 was not there. They don't have any fun shit like that. There's no way they'd have it. You know, token fine. You go to these nostalgic spots. This place didn't look like a nostalgic one. You know, fucking. Well, it was 2003 when that that would have came out. So Mortal Kombat 2 would have been what 89? Are we talking for Mortal Kombat 2? Is it thereabouts? No, probably like 95. It's 95. Yeah. Like yeah, one had a fucking smartphone and shit. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> I don't know. You could say that it's fair because it like I don't know. It happens at like. Mortal Kombat then probably would have been around six or seven years of age at that stage. It, w- it wouldn't have been an old no nostalgic way. game at that stage when the apocalypse the happened. The era that we went to Plex in, in the realm then. I've been in the Plex. <laughs> there was no fun games like that. You would have had Dance Dance game. Revolution. Yeah, I was Fuck. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Yeah, a lot of pool. Yeah, there you go. That's that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, who knows? Maybe Americans do things differently. Um, 
I'm gonna kind of agree. And again, I don't. I did enjoy this episode. But <clears> I want to kind of give credit to the 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 actress who played Riley. I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but he, as well, I thought Bella Ramsey is doing excellent as as Ellie, and I kind of want to touch on that in a little bit as well. And she she brought a lot of heart to this and humanity to this, and this was really good as well for people who don't like again. I kind of get why gamers would feel as we feel because again, we love Ellie. You know what I mean? So Bella Ramsey is just like bringing us up to an emotional point that we're going to be at. And to be fair, I'd, I'd like to discuss this more in detail, but I think she's kind of got there and I think she's done the thing with Ellie um, really, really effectively. But as well, like it's not new to us to be there, you know? So I think this is more important for their people. It is interesting and maybe a little bit concerning as we head into the last two episodes, knowing that we know what episode eight is going to be and we know what episode nine is going to be. But also we now know that we don't necessarily have an appetite for seeing the game just played out as we know, as the beats we know. We do want that extra content and we do want to kind of be stimulating the way that people who didn't play the game are as well, which is interesting because the series is made. Maybe they don't have time. They don't have time to change it or learn that lesson. So um, we could, we maybe might set ourselves up for, I don't say disappointment because I don't think it's a poorly made show. Maybe we've just been a bit spoiled in the past few weeks with the stuff they've got added on. But for me, the impression of this week and last week was, and this is the, and I never wanted to be one of these people, especially with this show, because I was so enthusiastic for it. But I couldn't help but be like, they did it better in the game, the way they formatted it. Okay. We obviously didn't get a chance to talk about last week, but we, when we spoke a few weeks ago about things we were dying to see happen in this show, the end of last week's episode was the answer that I gave. So when Joel died, I was expecting it to be like, Almost, and again, we know that Joel doesn't die, but when he gets stabbed in the game, for anyone who's never played it, okay, you die with Joel. And because you play as Sarah at the start when she dies, you know that the game has the balls to kill off and a character that you play as. So you can literally, like, you you don't get stabbed, you actually get impaled. Like, you fought, like, he gets into a brawl similar with the hunters that he did at the episode six, and then you fall off a ledge and then you get impaled. So you're like, holy shit, like, that's you don't come back from that. And then you're you're trying hard to get away, and Ellie's trying to cajole you in the way that she was. But you can feel like the more you try, the slower Joel gets, and you can feel the life be drained out of him. I was in bits for that part of the game. I was even worse than the Sarah part because I'm literally, it's like I felt myself dying. You know what I mean? Like you're so <laughs> entranced in it. And I was like, if they can capture that feeling or just capture the feeling of like, even then you start the next episode again. And I won't get into kind of the plot because it does start to get into where we go next week and the, at the at the start of the next. But you start it with the time jump that we had at the start of this, where all of a sudden it's snowy and it's different. And now we're kind of in a different level of the game or a different timeline, so to speak. Um, And then Ellie's by herself hunting and trying to just fend for herself. So now you're like, Joel's actually dead. I watched Joel die and I was sure he died. And now, because Ellie's by herself, Joel's dead. And then you kind of get into true, like the left behind part does kick in at this part of the game. It was added on after the game, but like where left behind ties in is Ellie is trying to get, we, we learn Joel is obviously alive in the garage, but Ellie is, we then flash back to Ellie trying to, there. she's in a shopping mall and she's trying to get him medicine. And that reminds her of being in a shopping mall with Riley. And that's how the two are linked together. And that for me, 
takes you on a much better journey because what I expected at the end of last week was it to be like when Ned Stark died in Game of Thrones where you're like, you can't kill Pedro Pascal. What have you done? And for non-game players to have that kind of fake out reaction and I was dying for that. And I don't think anyone bought it. I didn't see mm. people go crazy. I don't think they sold people on the fact that Joel could be dead. I think it's like, oh yeah, but Joel's going to be fine. Pedro Pascal's going to be fine. And it's like, you shouldn't feel safe in this story. You know what I mean? Because they are not afraid to kill big people. Um, So for me, that's the part where the game got it. And again, like that tainted this because I'm almost like, I, I went into it similar to yourself, Bruiser, and that I went into it going like, I don't think I'm going to like, I don't think this is going to hit as much for me because I'm kind of feeling disappointed. Now, look, that doesn't affect where we are next week. We know what next week's episode is going to be. We're not going to get into it, obviously. I don't I don't feel that I'm any worse off than I would be. I still think next week has every opportunity to traumatize me in much the same way this portion of the games did. But yeah, I, I am a bit disappointed. Um ahead, next Bruce. next week's episode's more episodes, you know. Remember yeah. when we said at the start, mm. we all said a comment, it, it's that. It's been leading to that and, and obviously the reasons why and all. And I suppose the one thing of this episode was uh, Bella looked, I really think she looked like this was her episode. Yeah. I'd say when she read this script, she was like, this is the episode that will make me, you know? So all her little side glances, all her little other shit, I think she was planning on tying in to this is why and, and this is how come everything else you've seen is, you know, she really enjoyed this episode, I think, the film. And uh, like probably more of a story and got to create the back character and everything else. Uh, so yeah, maybe maybe it is needed, and then maybe we'll come out of ne- you know next week's episode going we needed it because it, it tied in everyone else, everyone else that probably wasn't getting the same sympathy reaction that we might have had from playing the game and controlling them, and you know what I mean, being them. Uh, maybe she tied it in with that performance, you know, possibly. That's what I'm hoping. Mm, yeah. you know, that we'll see next week's episode, and we'll be like, actually, you know what, they fucking were right. They, you yeah. know what I mean, they they, they were bang on. And yeah, and again, like it is going to be, I think next week, like the next two episodes are like, they're, they're both huge Joel and Ellie episodes. Do you know what I mean? They're both, both characters go through big stuff over the last two episodes. And it really like, again, I'm actually buzzing now thinking about (laughs) making it real in my head. I'm like, okay, I'm actually really excited again. Um, But like. Ellie, we spoke early in the show where it was important that Ellie had to be in a certain situation and in a certain we had to we as the audience had to feel a certain way about Ellie there that when we were first introduced to her, we didn't feel that way. And that was fine. We knew that wasn't necessarily indicative because you feel very similar in the game. Um now we're here where you need to feel that way about Ellie for next week to hit. Kev, do you feel that? Bella has done Ellie justice in that way. Like, where are you feeling for kind of what we're about to go through? Yeah, it's, it's, can I just get back actually to something you just said as well? It's, I think this DLC episode would have been better after Henry and Sam had died. I think it would have been a much better placement of it because it's, it's something you brought up there that was like, fuck, that's a really big missed opportunity. If you had Joel get stabbed and it ends the way it ends, and then you have her the next episode out hunting. There's no, you don't see Joel at all. She's completely on her own. And yeah. you don't have the reveal of Joel being back at that house till the end of the episode. Yeah. That's how you fucking get people. And that's, that's on her. Cause like everybody that I worked with as well that haven't played the game, 
knew he wasn't dead as well. And yeah. that really kind of fucked up th- or fucked with things a little bit. And I think it's maybe more the placement of that was was where they kind of went wrong. Um, I do because think, that's yeah. one of the best. Like that's that's almost like pro wrestling. Like you know what I mean. Like again, we won't yeah. get into it. But like the revelation that Joel's alive, and you're like, oh, yeah, that is such a huge moment that we now just don't have. You know what I mean? It's like, oh my god, because it just again, you'll experience it next week, but it just comes at the perfect time. And yeah. when you watch it next week, if you haven't played the games, you'll know, you'll know instantly the time that I'm referring to. That it's like we <laughs> the gamers have that. Joel's alive. Joel's alive. Oh my god, he's alive. You know what I mean? It is like. That the, the wrestling good guys music hits like at just the right time, you know what I mean? It's it is like that, and it's really really powerful. So yeah, I, I agree with that. Like the structure yeah. that they have for the next portion of the game was perfect in it, and they fucked with the structure. And now we're left with did they fuck with the game or did they have something up their shoulders? Because again, we don't have a lot of backstory for the people that we're about to meet. So maybe they yeah. do stuff like that. You know what I mean? There's, 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 there's avenues there that they could go down or levers they could pull where at the end of the season, we could be like, oh yeah, that's, that's why. Like kind of what you're saying, Bruiser, where we're like, oh yeah, that's why they did what they did. But again, it yeah, was, just, as a gamer, we're kind of like, they've gone off track here. I must say, it's also a little shit there. Girl that played, Ramsey, is that what you said her Mighty. name was? Bella Ramsey, yeah. She was fucking deadly. Like, yeah. really good. Like, it, it was a shame it kind of went the way it did, right? Like, you get these car- these great character portrayals and, and, and it's one and done and you're like, ah, oh, you know what I mean? It's a bit disappointing because she was also fantastic. That just popped into my head throughout it all because if I have to pick a standout moment of it all, it's her. It's her and her, her battle to want to join the Fireflies and to get away from Fedra and, you know, the, the task she was given by Fedra. Like, she was her in her reflection throughout it all. I thought was probably the highlights of the episode. Yeah, you know, so yeah. it's just saying that just one, you know. That's there's a line she go ahead. There's a line she says. I remember we've been kind of like, oh, she's turned into a bit of a psychopath and stuff as well. There's a line she says where I have to go for drill training and hit to kill fireflies tomorrow, and you're like, you're 14 years old, and you're being trained to kill people. That's that's what you've grown up on now. And like, there's no wonder you are the way you are when you've been doing drill training every morning to kill people like. Um, and I thought it was a it's a it's a subtle line and it's kind of it's a bit of a throwaway line, but I picked up on that being like, oh, this is kind of why she is the way she is a little bit now. Yeah. And um that was just that was like one of my more high the highlight parts of the episode for me. It's just little tiny little bits and pieces, like that conversation with as a commander Kwong, I think his Kwong name was. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I thought yeah, that just the bits and pieces like that I thought were great. I also just love this uh, the split second look of oh fuck before the girl gets punched out as well. <laughs> by by, by Ellie. It was just great. <laughs> it was yeah, the typical it was a great like and that's a great storyline trope, but it's like the bully realizes they've gone too far. Yeah, and it's just like uh, <laughs> Sorry, Bruce. Bur- I can't hear you. It was smoke. It was just like, yeah, knock the bitch. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Um, and, and like, stitches sounded ridiculous though. What's that? Like fifteen stitches. They said she was getting. I know for one punch. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's Tyson level. Uh, well who knows maybe she like carved up her face with her like pocket knife or something you wouldn't know (laughs) she was she was mad for the pocket knife here uh which again interesting bit just remember that um but um 
you have so like here it's interesting because the things we're talking about are exactly the new bits of information we got you know what I mean we didn't get Riley by the way was played by uh, Stormreed by the way I want to give that a shout out because yeah she was fantastic in this and again yeah I don't want to like. I, I feel like we're we're almost being hard. Like we're kind of. I think what we're speaking towards is more a disappointment to this. Like at, at least for me personally, I'm not. I enjoyed watching this episode of television. I was. I was not thinking this is terrible. I hate this the entire time. For what it's worth, I don't know about you guys, but like again, I'm more speaking towards my maybe high expectations that I had versus kind of where I landed. And I was more just in hindsight, I started to have these thoughts. I enjoyed the stuff like that, like Storm Reed, absolute powerhouse performance, but also like again Quan and the bit we got into Fedra because again you get none of that in game Fredra in the game are rent a bad guy you know what I mean we just need mm. people to kill because you need to learn how to play the game and you need to learn how to fight you know what I mean so they're Fedra are a bunch of bad guys that Joel has to kind of run down uh, throughout the early parts of the game what I found really interesting here was did Quan like Quan seemed more reasonable than we've kind of led been led to believe that Fedra have been? Now, part of that is due to the fact that I don't think there's any government. I don't think there's any one. I don't think they have the ability to mass communicate in the way that they would have in the old world. Like, for example, they speak of the internet as this like you had that you had access to everything. Um, so I don't I don't think there is a government. I think Fedra just there's different Fedra stations and they kind of like in Kansas City it could be one way, but in Boston they could be good Fedra and. So on and so forth. It seems like Quan, though, is actually a kind of decent person. You know what I mean? He believes in the cause. He genuinely believes that what he's doing is actually helping people. He says at one point, like, look, if I, I know we've got a bad rep, but like, if we're not here, your people are going to starve and start killing each other. And again, whether that's the case or not, it's what he believes. So he is doing it for the right reasons. He's a family man. We see that he actually cares about Ellie. He's not being sadistic at any stage as we've been led to leave. And then on the flip side, we've kind of discussed it. Yeah, you have the fireflies and we're led to believe Mar Marlene is the kind of the good guy who's trying to save the world and use Ellie and stuff like that but also Marlene is also recruiting Riley and putting guns in her hands and yeah. having her stationing her out in the mall with pipe bombs to kind of murder the likes of Ellie you know what I mean like that's what her job is she has to hunt out and, and murder kind of you know people living in the QZ that contains her best friend and all the people that she interacted with previously so this is this was interesting. What side did you feel more, I guess, kinship to yourselves? And again, everyone could have a team Fedra or team Fireflies here. Because again, I feel like we kind of got team Fedra were almost the good guys in this episode, whereas team Fireflies were the bad guys. But like again, we've seen the opposite. So where where are you guys kind of sitting on that side? And we heard Ellie and 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 it's relevant because we did hear Ellie and Riley constantly arguing amongst themselves about which one's better and how how that where where does that sit for you guys? Uh, like it? it's it's hard to kind of tell because like there's they're painted as the good guys here um and you and you have uh the fireflies recruiting kids and like, even the fact that like ellie didn't believe her that she was in the fireflies so she just showed her the gun yeah. as well it wasn't like the pendants or like that in the game it's just like oh i'm i've got a gun here and she's like and then she believed her but at the same time you fed your just drill training kids <laughs> to kill fireflies as well so uh, I don't really know that it's, it's it's kind of there's there's no good guys here I don't think really and like Quan he was sent and he gave her back the the Walkman but he definitely gave out like just recruitment officer vibes mm. of of nearly like a job agency nearly like um and so he's he's just trying to be your best friend I think um and that's the kind of attitude he kind of took so 
yeah there's there's no real good guys or bad guys here every everybody's kind of uh their their own kind of bad moral kind of area i suppose yes. but uh okay. just like anything though and i like that about it though okay, should, okay everything, everything shouldn't be just black and white of like these are good guys or bad guys and yeah that's what this show is though again like kind of we hear we hear of joel's like horrible past and everyone keeps like saying and these people who like again you look at last week for example like you had like they, they were like where tommy lives jackson it looks like an amazing community once you get in but well, you hear tommy. the old couple at the start <laughs> yeah well we will get to that um, well, you hear the old couple at the start they call that community the river of death you know what yeah. i mean so good guy bad and then like but the people like then the people in the river of death who have all these people who've cross them and I like hold them up at the gates like hang their bodies from the gates they look at Joel and they're like whoa you are fucked up son mm. um, so like we we again I kind of I think heroism in this story is based on when you meet someone what their motivation is then because I think everyone we meet to have got 20 years into the apocalypse has done some shit we all know Henry even turns around and he's like I'm not a good guy I'm a collaborator I'm I'm a dickhead like when he when we first when he first talks to Joel um so again, it's like maybe if we'd seen Henry at a different time, he'd have been a bad guy. But Kev, like I, I guess we're talking about emotions then. I guess we're talking about how you feel. Bruiser, who did you feel more when when you heard kind of Riley and Ellie kind of arguing? Yeah, who did you yeah. feel? It was, it was just uh two people caught up in a wrong, right? Like as Kev said, there's no there's no good guys in this situation. Like it, it's two people being politically uh, coerced into believing something else, right? Like, I think it's two villains, it's two heels. Um, Fedrit's a heel. I never liked Fireflies. Like, from the start of playing, I was like, these are fucking assholes. <laughs> um, and the reality is, the only faces are the tweeners, the likes of Joel, who just want to stand in the middle and play his own cards. You know what I mean? He's like, I'll do whatever for whoever once I'm the beneficiary, you know? And that's that's the only face move to make in a situation like that because you've got two two bad groups. Yeah, he plays so, one side, so he always ends up on top. Like it's it's the time honored <laughs> tradition. <laughs> so obviously, look, we had like Ellie and Riley. This is a love story at the core of it, and and it was interesting. I think I listened to the HBO podcast with Craig Mason and Neil Druckmann, the two showrunners for this show, uh, and it was interesting because. It may have looked strange, and they spoke about this. It may have looked strange to see, you know, in 2023, to see two queer people trying, struggling to admit their feelings to each other. You know what I mean? Because again, like that's something that we're, we're it's more normalized now for us. And when we're watching this, especially we watched Bill and Frank a few weeks ago, and it was like, that was such like a normal story, and it was a beautiful story in a way. But like what they hammered home there was how we've kind of gotten used to that becoming normalized throughout our lifetimes and over the past 20 years, whereas in 2003, that wasn't normalized. So again, it would be very confusing for teenagers trying to navigate that because they're dealing with a stigma that they probably just wouldn't deal with in our world. So that's part of what it is, which is very profound and very deep. I'm going to ask you a not profound and not deep and very immature question. <laughs> we see both trying to navigate that line of kind of trying to, trying to get the shift, basically trying to love the gob and they're both trying different tactics. You have Ellie who's like kind of going for every time they have close bonding moments, Ellie's just giving her a lingering look like go on, kiss me. Whereas Riley's like kind of teasing her and just kind of going like, she sees the Victoria's secret thing. And she's like, I'm trying to picture you in that. And then laughs, which is like, you know, she's kind of like, that's an insult. Like she's, 
negging her. Um, who had the better game for you guys? Was it Ellie or Riley Bruiser? Who who had the better game for you? Riley was obviously more confident, I think. But um, in, in saying that, just hey, you, I didn't even, I guess I didn't even take into consideration the the awkwardness of the of them being gay. To me, it would just seemed like uh, the awkwardness of two teenagers yeah. trying to hug up. Yeah, you know, yeah. like if you think. I don't know, man. I don't know about you guys, but I think if I think back to how I was trying to get the shift back in the day, I'm sure it was fucking <laughs> cringy as shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, me, it just brought me back to that. And I thought it was played really well. And never, I, I guess, I'm probably that's naivety from myself to never, to have not considered the, the them coming out to each other aspect yeah. of it all. Mm. You know? I suppose yeah. that's, that, that, that's an oversight on my part. I didn't really take that into consideration. But again, we're privileged with the fact that we didn't have, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, uh, Riley had more game. Neither of them had game though, man. It was fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to have game in the apocalypse. Uh, yeah, yeah that, that's, that's fair. Fucking, yeah. They got Mortal Kombat. That was about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Kev, what were your thoughts on their, on their respective games and attempts to kind of love the guy? Yeah, I did know, like Ellie kept pushing her off every time Riley to get close to her because like when she kind of half fell down the elevator she kind of caught her and she pushed her off and then when they're having like the the photo booth moments she's like get off me at the end of it then as well so it was her and maybe not being able to 100% kind of comfortably be who she actually is I think as well till that dance moment and I thought that arc getting up to that dance moment was really nice and sweet of her kind of constantly denying to the point of uh, just letting into her feelings then as well. Yeah. Um, I, I so love that. I, I, I think that's kind of, that's her kind of grappling with stigma. I think we saw this at the start of the episode where Riley's like, you're going to say no, but then you're going to say yes. And then Riley's yeah. like, put on your pants. And Ellie's like, we'll turn around. And Riley's like, you're so weird with that. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's so interesting because it, it, it tells you so much at the same time. It's like, Riley wants to see her, you know, strip and get changed and stuff like that for her own reasons. But like Ellie is so worried about the stigma and everything around it that again, Mm. she can't, even though she loves this person and she wants to be seen by this person, she can't let herself be so because she's just dealing with that the entire time. I think that was really effective and powerful story in a very subtle, subtle, tiny way, but it was very real. And I know Druckmann and Mason are very, they're very concerned about making, especially the kind of the the non heteronormative love stories that are in this. They they're they're very concerned with making them feel real and authentic and not kind of just forced or obvious. And and I think they're getting that aspect right, which is which is really effective. Um, last thing about this episode, what was your favorite wonder of them all? So we had the electric stairs, we had the merry go round, Mortal Kombat two, or Dance with Mask. What um, what did do it for you? I legitimately was gonna ask you fuckers that. That's- <laughs> Fucking in me head here, legs. <laughs> what? What was it for you, bros? Come on, I obviously have one. Constantly horror, like come on, the fuck. I love the Halloween shop. We fucking spend hours in there. Spend thousands of euros as well and leave like dead looking. <laughs> love it, Kev. What uh, would be for you if you got taken ar- on a hot day to the mall? Arcade for me, Mortal Kombat Two all the way. Yeah, it's, it can't it's go. gotta be. It's, it's one of my favorite franchises. Who though, Kev? When they had it in the arcade, <laughs> I, I, th- I I'd think, love it either way. 
I think we're <laughs> we're all underestimating the 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 big one. For me, I my favorite was, and it wouldn't be now. We all take it for granted now. But if you've never experienced it, think about when you were a kid and you went on an escalator for the first time. <laughs> yeah. Was Ellie's reaction not exactly how you felt? What yeah. kind of sorcery is this? <laughs> the stairs move, and then you try to go up it again, and you're like, "What the hell?" I thought that was so perfect from Ella, Ella Ram, Bella Ramsey yeah. because do you remember at the end she tried to like climb on the side and then she just awkwardly kind of fell <laughs> it was just so real it was like it was so unpolished so electric stairs for me if I'd never seen electric stairs before um, also a little easter egg the cure just like heaven was the song and uh, yeah in the merry-go-round uh, I love anyone. that yeah, it was like a little rockabye baby kind of version of it yeah, um, yeah. although a really good little point about that is 80s music's danger yeah oh love it oh my god great yeah. show Amazing, man. putting a lot more effort into this shit than I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because when that started wait, playing, I was like, oh, fuck, here up, we go. <laughs> Way to show me up, Kev. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Guys, we're we're there. We're at the end game. Two episodes left. Um, how we are we there? Are we confident? Are we com- are we like this is it? This is gonna be what we want it to be, or are we a bit nervous now? Because again, this didn't hit in kind of the way we're feeling. How are we feeling now? Not what's coming. Go for Bruce, um, we'll you, or Kev, we'll yeah. you, whoever wants to jump in. Yeah, listen, I'll, I'll jump in with it. Uh, yeah, to me, I don't think they can do it, do it wrong. I think it's going to be two of the best television episodes you've ever seen in your life. I think uh, uh, if, if we go off the games, it, it's going to be hard to fuck this one up, man. The the next two two, two episodes, it's, it, it's hard to fuck them up. I really don't think it's possible. Uh, I honestly think it was two of the best, you know, chapters and storytelling times in a... In anything I've ever, you know, ever watched, ever played, ever that, and so I feel we're going to be the same way. It ain't going to be easy to fuck this up, and they've not really fucked up much so far. So I think we're in. I think we're on. I think we're invested. I think I'm going to look back and go at the end of episode eight coming up. I think I'm going yeah. to look back and go. I liked seven, right? Like maybe I would have yeah. liked it to see seven broken down and added in through a couple of episodes, like a little few flashbacks mm. for Ellie, like here and there, maybe when the lads died. And all, you know, that would have yeah. probably been a bit nicer. But either way, I, I think I'm going to see episode eight and go, yeah, like that was grand. I've connected. She's Ellie now. She's fucking there. I'm with her. And I'm taking every step with her. And I imagine I'm going to be doing that from the start of that episode. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping. You know, <laughs> I'm going to be there and I'm going to be fucking fully invested. You got me back. You got me back, Kev. <laughs> Don't wreck the balls, Kev. I'm on a positive one now. <laughs> oh, no, I'm I'm 100% hype train for these next two episodes. I did. I watched the preview of next week's one, and uh, it it looks unreal. So I I'm hype trains at the station for me with these two. It, like oh like 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 Kev said as well. Like they they can't fuck these these two up with the quality that's already kind of come before yeah. it. Um, if anything, they'll hopefully I think add in maybe a couple of other little bits and pieces as well that'll just make them even better. But uh. Yeah, can't wait. I think we're going to, yeah, I think they're going to enhance it. I think they're going to get it right. Ah, oh, lads. Ah, oh, I'm in. I'm in. I'm back in. All right, we got there. We got and there. We never watch season two ever. <laughs> season two is going to be great. It's going to be fine. Don't worry. They'll get it right. Never happened, <laughs> Love it. Kevs, thanks for joining us. Uh, good luck in retirement, Bruiser. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
Look at the bags on my eyes, legs. Look at the bags. You're tired right in front of us. <laughs> anyway, uh, always a pleasure. Ken Fan Club on uh, Twitter, at B1 Bruiser on Twitter. Give them a follow as well. Uh, get their thoughts. Thank you, uh, thanks as always. Pleasure. That's all the time we have for this week's show. Next week on the show, it's time for the penultimate episode of The Last of Us, which I expect is going to be a little bit traumatic. I give my predictions for the upcoming Oscar ceremony, plus we'll have reviews of Creed 3, Joyland, Close and Alcaraz, and who knows what else will have to come in the meantime. Until then, this has been Page 180, and I'd love to not remember this, but it seems like the kind of thing that stays with a man forever. <laughs>